going back into some of the topics, bigger topics that we've been looking at. Last week was the image of God, how mankind bears the image of God and the significance of that. This week we're looking at another thing that's incredibly significant, and that is marriage. We see that right at the beginning of, of you know, when he creates mankind. He makes them male and female. He joins them together. We have a marriage right at the very beginning of, of Scripture. And I think it's significant that at the very end of the Bible, we have another marriage. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that kind of gives a little bit of a clue of where I'm going this, with, with this, which is I really want to define, we see here, the meaning of marriage. And hopefully as you guys have been going through I Ate Them, You've also looked at and studied very carefully the passage from Ephesians chapter 5. The Ephesians chapter 5 passage and the Genesis chapter 2 passage on marriage are perhaps the two most significant passages in all of Scripture about marriage. Lots of other, other texts reference marriage, deal with marriage, talk about marriage, but I think these are super foundational. And, and, and we're getting to something bigger. Here's my, my definition. The mar- marriage from the beginning was meant to reflect the relationship of Jesus with the church. This is a, quote, profound mystery. And I'm getting that from Ephesians chapter 5. First of all, let's read the, one of the key verses from Genesis 2. It says, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Out of the two is another that's formed, who separates from that, from that unity to form a new unity, a new bond with someone else. And, and then look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says in Genesis chapter 5. He says, he's quoting from Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And look what he says. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is a super big deal, guys. We cannot fully understand marriage until we get this right here. And when he says this mystery is profound, um, he is uh, using the word mystery to say not, not that it's a, the kind of thing that only uh, certain people can figure out, Remember how he, he talked about the revelation of the church, the revelation of God, the gospel as a mystery that's revealed. So in Genesis chapter 1, there's no mystery. He says flat out that mankind is made in the image of God. In, in other words, people, human beings, are a reflection of God. Remember how we talked about how Jesus is the ultimate man. He is the ultimate version. He is the image of the invisible God, as scripture says. Here it's saying that marriage is a reflection of something bigger and greater and more significant. So when God made marriage, he designed it after the future relationship that he was planning between Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church isn't a reflection of marriage. It's the other way around. Paul's saying that marriage is a reflection of the relationship between Jesus and the church. It's meant to to exalt and proclaim the relationship of Jesus and the church. And when he says it's a mystery, in other words, it wasn't revealed early on, that detail. This is something that was revealed later to us. 
that it comes from the church. So again, back to that definition, marriage from the beginning was meant to reflect the relationship of Jesus with the church, and this is a profound mystery, a profound mystery. He says it's a great mystery. And we see throughout the Ephesians 5 text these references back to the church. And when he says to the wives, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, and is himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to everything in your, to your husbands. It's all a comic, like, like, like wives, you, you are an image bearer of the relationship of the church with Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And goes on to describe the expectation that he has for husbands to reflect the, the role of Jesus for the church. This relationship that God's created is meant to reflect this greater, longer thing. You know, we know that marriage is temporary. It's just for this lifetime. That in the next life, there will be no marriage. But the relationship that we have within the church with Jesus is an eternal relationship. And, and by the way, it's important to realize the context that leads into this, this passage. There's some huge assumptions that, that Paul leads us into. Look at verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There is an assumption. Everything he begins to explain, describe what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. There is an assumption in this, in this kind of marriage that both partners are filled with the Spirit. That's what enables, that's what makes it possible for this. He says, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because of who Christ is, we're submitting to one another. We're serving one another. And then he calls wives to that same kind of relationship within husbands. And, and, and submission is something that in our culture is like, especially for, for women, that is that is, is is really uncomfortable. It's something that we, we kick against. It doesn't make sense. We, it bothers us. It bothers us significantly and deeply. But it's important to realize that this is not a call to submission uh, towards abuse or, or submission towards wrong behavior or, or tyranny, you know, or, or um, you know, that kind of overbearing harshness kind of, kind of leadership because he calls husbands to model their their love for their wives after the love that Christ has, who didn't take advantage of his position, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, sacrifice, self-sacrificing himself. So, um, you know, is it harder to be a husband and love your wife as Christ loves the church, or is it harder to be a wife and submit to an imperfect man? I don't know. You guys can debate on which one of those might be harder. But I think it's important to realize is that we will not get God's design for marriage unless we get the relationship of the church with Jesus. That is what the marriage is supposed to be a reflection of. And out of that 
flows so much meaning that comes out of marriage, including singleness. Because your relationship as a single person is ultimately in your relationship to Jesus. That is our long-term relationship. Our significance and our fulfillment and all the things that we need as people doesn't come through marriage ultimately. It comes through the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. And, and, and so we find our meaning, whether it's in our marriage, in our singleness, in, uh, as a husband, as a wife, in modeling the relationship that Jesus has with his church. I want to read a quote to you uh, from Tim Keller and his book, The Meaning of Marriage. If you, I would really highly recommend this book. It's got so much incredible um, information, and he breaks out this, this significant idea, this profound mystery that marriage is modeled after the relationship of the church and Jesus Christ and all the implications of that. And I just want to read a quote that I think is really good for us to think about. He says, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. And here's what he means by it being painful and wonderful. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. You know, that's like the Disney kind of romance. It supports and it affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to the rest of God's mercy and grace. And again, that's from The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Highly recommend that book. I want you guys to maybe wrestle with how the meaning of marriage being found in the image it's a reflection of the relationship of the church with Jesus, how that impacts how we live our lives, both in our, our singleness and in our relationship with our spouse and with the church and so on, the significance of that. One thing in particular that I've really gleaned from this passage and something that I heard from someone else is, you know, I've heard this idea and this command to husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And it says to give yourself up for her. Uh, Jesus sacrificed himself completely for the church, for Christians, for his love for people, right? So he laid himself down. The Bible even goes so far as to say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his love is not conditioned on our performance. Husbands, your love and self-sacrifice is not conditioned on her performance, what she does what she doesn't do, how she responds or does not respond to you. One subtle thing that I've learned more recently that I want to pass on to you guys is that this idea of sacrificial leadership. Um, I'm sacrificing myself for my wife. And this, I heard a pastor one time say, 
if you are giving in order to get from someone, you're not giving, you're actually investing. You see, when we invest in something, there is an expectation of a return on our investment. Husbands, you are not investing in your wife. You are giving to your wife. You are giving of yourself for her betterment, for, for her to have an easier and better life, to grow her, to, to raise her up, all the different kinds of things to serve her practically. Just go down the list. What are the different things that you can do? But it fundamentally comes down to modeling your love for her after the love that Jesus has for his church, which is one of self-sacrifice that is not conditioned in any way on the performance of the person that you're loving. So, again, that basic idea is that I can't give it with an expectation to get. That is not self-sacrifice. That is not giving. That is investing. So you guys talk through this, but again, foundational ideas that come out of the very beginning of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible that are so fundamentally gigantic to our faith, gigantic to eternity, our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. So guys, I encourage you again to listen to Jesus. Do what he says and remember that you are loved. Oh